We're going to be talking about really one of the most important parts of living for God in this world. I've called it unfulfilled expectations. Do you know what I mean by that? It, it really is one of the hardest things for us as human beings that when we expect something good to happen and, and, and count on it and it doesn't happen, it just about blows us away. I mean, we can all, it starts when we're children. I mean, we can all relate when you watch that Christmas story movie. Do you remember that? Where little, where little uh, Ralphie Parker uh, had such a desire to get that um, Red Rider carbine action 200 shot range model air rifle with a compass in the stock and this thing which tells time. We all know that longing for something that if we can get that, it's going to be great. And then when it doesn't come, oh, we just don't know what to do. We're angry. We're frustrated. But I'm going to tell you, when I talk about unfulfilled expectations, when it comes to people, when we expect something from people, that, that perhaps is the thing that destroys relationships as much as anything else in this world. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Uh, the girl who on one night really enjoys talking with this young man who is there, and he says, I'll call you tomorrow, but... Uh, the student who at last is going to get to start in the basketball game and just knows that his dad is going to be sitting up there washing it and then uh, the employee who's been walking, working for the same boss so hard, so diligently for so long and really feels he's been promised that that next raise, that next promotion would be his and then something, someone, uh, the husband who expected his wife to be faithful and then. Uh, you, you could use a thousand illustrations, right? You can do that. And uh, all of us will say the same thing. There are few things in this world that can devastate us more than when what we expect to happen, hope to happen, does not happen. And what I've always found in my, in my many years of, of being a follower of Jesus is that when there is, is something in human existence that is so thoroughgoing, cross-cultural, cross-ages, that the Bible is always going to address it. It does. It addresses the big issues of our lives. And so I'm not surprised at all that, that Jesus on his last day, before he goes to the cross, takes time with his followers to deal with this matter of what they should expect when they follow him. I mean, Jesus knew this. Uh, if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you're going to see he seemed to never fulfill people's expectations of him as Messiah. He just didn't do what everybody thought Messiah should do, especially those who were in power. And it becomes very clear to me when I read the text that Nancy read for us, John 15, beginning with verse 18 to 16, 4. And if you have a Bible or have it on your phone, turn to that because I'm going to want to point you to some things. He wants us to know what we should expect when we actually follow him wherever he takes us. It seems to me when I read this that out of a real love, for you and me, Jesus takes up this topic of expectation on this last day before he goes to die on the cross. He knew that for us, when times of pain come, such as Lauren sang about, that that would be the thing that would lead people, using his words, to go astray. He knew that whenever we follow Jesus and expect everybody just to be thrilled about it, that sometimes our families and our husbands or wives or our parents will push back. And not want us to just follow Jesus. They just want us to keep living the way we were before. He knew that. And, and so to, to give us realistic expectations. And to continue to have us remain faithful to him. 
he talked to his disciples about this is what you should expect when you follow me. Just, you, you, do you see how relevant this is for us? Don't you know many people who at one time were here in church who no longer are here in church because something happened and they just say, well, it doesn't work for me. It, it's not happening the way that I thought it would happen. Now, it, it's clear to me when I read the words in Jesus' text that flowing out of last week's message, if you weren't here, where he says, he is the vine, we are the branches. His power, his life will flow through us. That that fact that, that, that he is the Lord of our lives flowing through us should change every part of our lives. And today it's very clear that one of the places it can make a huge difference is when what we expected to happen does not happen. Actually, um, as I've been prayerfully considering this sermon, I've been thinking about how so many of you have ministered to me and taught me and, and there was one person that I was, I was reading it just came to my mind and, and many of you know her because he's so often back in the plaza uh, serving coffee uh, or serving donuts gets here very early every morning Terry Labossier um, she probably has a life that as a child she wouldn't have chosen well I won't even tell you why do I have to tell you her whole story when she's going to I asked Zach Johnson to put together a video and this is uh, Terry's story I want you to listen to it and then I'll come back I was looking for a different church uh, and while I was in the homeless scene I walked in this church and I saw my gosh this is a football field <laughs> I was kind of skeptical. I came to church and as I came out of the church I was walking across the patio and I could smell coffee. <laughs> and I'm a coffee addict. And because I said, I need volunteers. You want to volunteer to clean up? So I did. I leave my house at 6 o'clock. And um, depending how if the donuts are ready or not, I usually pick them up around 6.30. I load up that up on my dolly and, and then push it up on the patio and then we set up. When you serve, I learned that from my grandfather, you always try to help somebody. You know, always help, regardless of if people like it or not, or what they say about you or anything. And you can solve a lot of problems. It, it helps you know to uh, get away from depression, uh, because it gives you something to do. I, was, I knew I had the cancer for a long time, and in 2010, the tumor started coming out. They went in and they removed the lymph nodes, half of my tongue, part of the back of my throat. The worst thing is that you cannot communicate. <laughs> it's bad, I love to talk. <laughs> they took 35 sessions of radiation, and I was declared cancer-free, I think lasted two and a half years or something. But the radiation caused damage to the bone structure. As we face the facts, we have to make the best of it. I've been through depression. It's very real. The main thing is to laugh about everything, you know? It's happening, I can't do nothing about it. I, you know, it's happening. You have to serve or do something. And that, that's what helps you going. Now, I'm, I don't fear death. Uh, I'm not afraid of it because it, it's going to happen anyway. But I know where I'm going. And if you know where you're going, there's no sense of being afraid. <laughs> I just pray that 
when it's time to go, I don't want to go through all that pain at the end, because it takes me fast. <laughs> but you know, you have to put your hands in something because you cannot trust man. You have to trust God. And uh, and that, that I don't know what else to say. Yeah, that's the way I've been doing it. If you haven't met her, you've got to talk with her out in the plaza. I don't know, Terry, you're here. Uh, she may still be out in the plaza serving away. Uh, Terry, as you know, because of the homeless situation before, now this matter with the cancer, walking onto a place like this, most people might expect, well, you've got to serve me. And she finds life through serving us and actually serving us in the name of, of Jesus. I, I really thought, I told Terry, I said, I feel like you've been reading this whole series of sermons before I ever even developed them. You've been reading what Jesus said about us finding our lives through faith in him, through trusting him, knowing where we're heading, and, and remaining faithful to him. Now, uh, that's what Jesus is going to take up in many ways today. That there are going to be many times that the things that come to our lives, even when we follow him, and sometimes specifically because we follow him, are not the way we expected them to be. Uh, Terry's own battle has, has largely been a physical one. But the one that Jesus takes up with his disciples, and one that sometimes you and I have to face too, is sometimes when we go out as followers of Jesus and want to show the love of Jesus, and we find hostility, people coming back uh, to us. And, and really, as Jesus was persecuted and hated, we're starting to feel that as well. Now, when I talk about this, this today, I want to make a clarification. And I've written it for you so you can see it. That when Jesus says, the world hated me, so you can expect that to happen. The world has persecuted me, so when I reign in you, you can expect that to happen. He's not saying that every moment of every day and in every encounter that you should expect pain and opposition. He's not saying that. But he is making it very clear that each one of us, when we give our lives to Jesus, we should anticipate uh, those times in which it feels like the whole world is against us. Because Jesus asks to be Lord, he says a new kingdom is breaking into a world and darkness clashes with light. Other kingdoms don't want the kingdom of God to take over. And when we represent him, he says, if the world hated me, you have to know that that is going to happen to you as well. Now, it's not always going to happen. I think Jesus knew that there would be times, like happened with the early church in Acts chapter 2 uh, through chapter 5, when they went out and showed the love of Jesus, they were warm, warmly received. But then chapter 6 came and the opposition came as they called people to leave their own ways and to follow him. And I find something very similar happens to us here in the San Gabriel Valley. That as we do some of those things that we talked about earlier in the, in the service, uh, when we go out and, uh, and are mentoring the kids in our public schools and get involved with their families, uh, when, when, when we um, uh, a partner with Door of Hope, and try to find a way out of homelessness for families in our community, or when we try to make sure that people who haven't found a place to belong here in our area can find a place of welcome in the church. I always find that when I'm in our city, people warmly receive that. However, I, Jesus is saying, don't have the expectation that that is always going to happen. In fact, the more you live for me, the more you should expect that people will push back. Jesus said in verse 20, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, I know this is a sobering message. 
But here, I just want to deal with it very, very simply. Uh, why would such a thing happen? And number two, how do we, how do we re- respond and react when it does happen? Uh, so those are the two things I want to talk about. Uh, why does it happen that sometimes there is persecution and hostility that comes back against, uh, against us? And I put it, why would anyone knock down, because in this series, knock down but not knocked out? Why, why would anybody in the world even want to knock down such nice people as we have here at Lake Avenue Church? Have you ever asked that? Well, Jesus tells us why. So, so I'll, I'll go through the reasons that he gives and, and you think about your own life in the light of him. Reason number one is that the more you and I follow Jesus and let him live in, in and through us, the more we're like aliens in the world. Men in black. The mo- <laughs> How do you like that to think of yourself sort of as an alien? Now look at what he says in verse 19. If you are not of the world... Now, once again, they were born in the world, these disciples, and and you and me too. We were born here. um, And so our natural inclination is to think the way the world thinks and live the way the world thinks. But then we come to Jesus and he says, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Now, remembering again the context of this, uh, Jesus had just said that we are going to be connected to him like a branch to a vine. So his life should flow through us. It's like Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 would say, now that I believed on Jesus, I have been crucified with Christ. So, so yes, I'm still alive, but it is no longer I who live, but really what you should see is Christ living in me. And now Jesus, in talking about that, says that that reality of being connected to him should change everything. Uh, so what is it like? that we become different because we're following Jesus. I, I've been thinking about this all week and thinking, what, what might you understand? And I think, I think this. J.R.R. Tolkien, in his trilogy, now a few years ago I couldn't have talked about this because so many people haven't read the 2,000 pages you've got to get at through that. But now many of us have seen the movie. But J.R.R. Tolkien, I think, took this up. Uh, there are two main characters bearers of the one ring to rule all rings. There was Bilbo Baggins. I'm seeing if anybody's nodding with me. Do I have a picture up there? Frodo Baggins, who were there. Now, you've got to see those guys. Even though they become the heroes, they were, when you first meet them, um, ordinary, probably even less than ordinary people. Nobody expected anything of a hobbit. And the Shire was one of the most boring places of all. But after all of these adventures that they had, when they returned at the end to the Shire, they found that they had changed. Oh, they, they still loved the Shire. They still loved their homeland. They loved it so much that when problems were there and they walked in, uh, Saruman, the evil one, had, had affected even the Shire and they, they drove out that evil. But even though they loved the Shire, they no longer seemed to belong. See, after all these years of their contact with these supernatural uh, beings uh, like elves and trolls and the great wizard uh, named Gandalf, it was like a different life force had entered them. And Tolkien writes about it. He says, a greatness of heart filled them. They, They laughed louder. They cried more deeply. They seem to be able to see into the future and know that things are headed to something that is much better. They seem to have a sense of what really matters instead of the temporary things of the Shire. They had a perspective on everything that was much bigger than those who had never experienced anything except the Shire. 
And so they seemed strange to everybody in the Shire. They would just sit for hours and look out over the sea in meditation and contemplation. See, they still loved their homeland, but the citizenship of their hearts had changed. The rootedness of their inner beings was no longer in, in the Shire. It was over the sea. Over the sea. And they would sing songs longing for, for their homeland, their new homeland. Songs like, We still remember we who dwell in this far land beneath the trees. Thy starlight in the western seas. See, I always used to read these stories. Yes, all 2,000 pages to Heather and Brandon. And when we came to these Hobbit songs, I made up melodies for them. And none of them were ever any better than that one, Jeremy and Twain. It was, it's, that was, I even had more time to think about this one. But it's like us. We come here and, and we sing a song that, that says, When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Because you see, you and I are citizens of a different kingdom. And when we ask how we live, we have the drumbeat of heaven going. God is setting the rhythms that should lead and dictate every decision, every movement that we make. And if we're following God's ways rather than the kingdoms of this world, the world's ways, our own flesh and where we crave to go, and even of the devil, we are going to become different. Uh, when you trust Jesus, Jesus is saying this. He says to them, I don't think you fully grasp what's happened to you when you followed me. <laughs> through your faith in me, he had said in John 15, 1 through 17, through your faith in me, the very life of God has entered into your being. So Jesus is saying, when you follow me, your approach to everything in this world changes. To the way you view life and even death, you know it's not the end of things. To the things that are important to you. They're not the temporary things anymore. To the place where you and I find our security. Most people think you find it in money. Securities. What a ridiculous name. Is there anything less secure than securities? The, the, the way you and I just look at one another as people, those divisions of age and race, those things are gone. We, we want to see as Jesus sees. Uh, in any country, in any place in the world, whatever the political system, we're probably not going to find any place where we just naturally fit. We'll have different views because if they're following the drumbeat of the earth, we're following the drumbeat of our king who is over all kings. And, and what Jesus is saying here is what's going to happen the more you and I become like Christ because that's what should happen. Uh, we're going to become conformed to the image of Christ. The more you and I think and live like Jesus that what happened to him will happen to us. Do You see, that's what he's saying here. And he said sometimes people are going to watch you and I'm sure you've experienced this uh, and just think you're weird Wondered what's happened. Why on earth are you going to that church? Why are you singing those songs? Why won't you do some of the things you used to do and we always did together? And sometimes it will just be confusion. Jesus says sometimes it will be hostility. And sometimes he says it will even be persecution. That's what we should expect. What a sobering message this is. So listen to me carefully here. You might say, well, yes, we see that sort of thing for Christians who are living in Muslim countries. 
they'll be persecuted. Yes, we, we, we see that in those who live in communist countries, you know, maybe in China. They'll, but here in the U.S., no, uh, we won't experience that. I have wondered, have we become so big and successful as churches that we're not the countercultural people that Jesus calls us to be? I, I've wondered sometimes, are we far, far too much at home in the world that we are in? Not longing beyond anything else, simply to live a way that honors God. I just think that many of us, maybe all of us, aren't as fully committed to Jesus and to obeying Him as He calls us to be when He lives in us. And I think Jesus would be saying to all of us, don't miss the radical nature of what happens inside of you when you follow Me. You don't live for yourself anymore or for the world. You live for, for God. We become citizens of heaven. We follow God's directives. And Jesus is saying, sometimes we're going to feel like aliens in our own land. Does that make sense to you? Oh, nobody. I don't know if we want to hear this, do you think? Well, that flows into the other two reasons. It all flows out of that. that now we're committed to God. Number two, Jesus says, then what happens when we do that is we insist on living as God commands us to live. No matter what the rest of the world says. So look at how he puts it in verse 20. On one side, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. And then in juxtaposition, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. To me, it's so interesting how Jesus links persecution to the willingness of people to keep his words. To live as he tells us to live. And the reason is most people don't want to keep other people's words. We want to just live the way we want to live instead of having any, any kind of outside authority, even God himself, speak into our lives. That was definitely true in Jesus' day. Uh, that when he spoke, he spoke with an authority that just declared, this is how you were made to live. All things were made through him. This is how I made you to live. And people didn't want to live that way. They wanted to keep going the way that they were before. One of the places this comes out, I don't know if you're aware of this, you see so many times Jesus saying, Amen, Amen. Truly, truly, I say to you. Do you know what that comes out of? That comes out of in the synagogue when you would have a teacher of teaching people. You would have the religious leaders sitting over here kind of like Dwayne and Jeremy, listening, listening to the sermon and listening to see if they agreed with it. And uh, at the end, if they agreed with it, uh, it would be affirmed. They would say, Amen, Amen. It's exactly what we wanted to hear them say. But Jesus, you know, when he spoke, didn't wait for that. He opened his statements by saying, Amen, Amen. Verily, verily, I say to you. When he spoke, God spoke. And, and what he called them to do was called them away from their self-centered lives. He corrected their false teaching. You have heard it say, said, he said in the Sermon on the Mount, but I tell you, this is what God meant. He, he called people to faithfulness in their marriages. He commanded people to love enemies when they didn't want to, even Samaritans and Gentiles. He called people to value children who were not valued in his society. He called people to turn away from all kinds of evil. And you know, everything he called people to do was good. But the very fact that it called people away from self was, was rebelled against. They, they hated the fact that he wouldn't do what they wanted, but instead called them to obey his commands. They didn't want anybody to tell them how to live. Even Jesus. That was the first century. We don't have any problems like that in the 21st century California, do we? 
I feel like here in Southern California, the main rival to God in the lives of people and that we wrestle with too is the God of self. I think the main commandment of our culture is thou shalt not tell me anything that I shalt not do. The idea that there is no truth that should strike us outside of ourselves, that should compel us to obey, is just resisted in our country. And then as you look at uh, what Jesus had said in the first 17 verses of John 15, repeatedly he said, when I am in you, you keep my commands. And if you miss it, he said it in verse 10, he said it in verse 11, he said it in verse 12, he said it in verse 13, he said it in verse 17. How could we miss it? Keep my commands and you find life. So in our culture, the ultimate determining point for our moral decision-making is, I feel this is right for me. So when we speak in and say, but God has told us what is right, this is how God says you should live. You'll be viewed as a bigot, I'll just tell you. It will lead to scorn and eventually to persecution. Now, listen carefully here. I I know that, once again, when Jesus was speaking, he was speaking to a small minority, persecuted group of people, saying, keep my commands and show people a different way to live. Here we have, you know, the churches are so big. Sometimes we say, well, we're going to force everybody. We're going to use might and power to make everybody uh, live the way that God tells them to live. And somehow we sometimes have come across as being self-righteous and just trying to wield power. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Do you see it? He's talking about our own personal commitment to living for him, to showing people a different way of living, to really calling other people to live that way. But it's not a power thing. And I'll tell you, when we actually live the way he calls us to live and give testimony to him, to his goodness, sometimes people are just going to say, you're a fool. Even when we say, this is how God made us to live. So, one... We're going to feel like aliens because we are following his commands rather than the, than, than the world's ways of living and morals. And number three, the other thing that will lead to some hostility and pushback is that you and I, as followers of Jesus, give witness to the only one who can save us. Do you see the exclusive claim of that? Look at how he put it in verse 27. You will bear witness about me out here in this world. That's what we have to do, tell people about Jesus. And then what happens? Chapter 16, verse 3. And they will do these things, the persecution, because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. Uh, One of the claims that Jesus made in this last day before he goes to the cross, and that I think he tells us to make as well, was back in chapter 14, verse 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. In a pluralistic world like you and I live in, that doesn't always fall upon receptive ears, do you think? No one comes through the Father except through Jesus. But let me just remind you, brothers and sisters, of the message that has changed our lives. We believe that there is only one person who has lived the sinless life that we were meant to live and all human beings were meant to live, but none of us has lived. Can I have a witness? Or was that too long a convoluted a sentence that it made any sense? Only one person has lived the life we were supposed to live. We're supposed to live it. The whole world is. Only one person has done that. Therefore, oh, there's only one person who is in the place to be able to die. And he was willing, and he alone was able and willing to die the death that you and I should have to die for our sins. But now we don't have to when we place our faith in him. 
He will declare us as right with God and give a spirit to us and begin remaking us. But I'm telling you, there is no other name under heaven whereby the salvation of God can be received other than the name of Jesus. And, oh, you see, I, I needed that applause because one of the reasons we come together as a church is because we have experienced that to be true. We need to reinforce it because that message is never met with warmth and joy in a pluralistic world. A significant part of our calling is to be witnesses to Jesus and to tell people that they have no eternal hope without him. Now, the thing I want you to see when we look at all three of those reasons why he said, as the world has hated me, it will hate you, that Jesus, these are hard words. This is a sobering sermon, don't you think? Why does Jesus spend so much time on the last day of his life talking about such things? I'll tell you, he does because he loves all who place their faith in him. He knows how devastating it's going to be if, if the scorn or the pain or the persecution that come to us in this world comes and we're not prepared for it. So I just make note of this. Look at chapter 16, verse 1. Why am I saying these things to you? He says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. He could see into the lives of people and he knew that these unexpected realities of pain and persecution would be one of the main causes for people walking away from him and from the church. And so he, he says it again, just three verses later. Look at verse 4. Now I'll tell you, I have said these things to you that when the hour of persecution comes, you may remember that I have told them to you. Okay, so when they come, how do we handle them? And one of the things Jesus has done throughout his teaching, going all the way back to chapter 13, verse 1, is he keeps reminding us of the resources you and I have to be faithful to him and to really find our lives in him no matter what happens in this world. No matter if cancer comes like it has to Terry. No matter if the situations happening that are happening with Catherine and Josh Ungricht and their little kids, that somehow we can be faithful to him and not be shaken by things that we could never have anticipated. What are those resources? I find him reiterating them here in this passage. What are they? Number one, what resource do you and I have? We have a loving family. Here, they, here we are, <laughs> given, given by God to one another. So, I don't know if you notice how it, how it flows. Chapter 15, verse 17. Yet again, he says, love one another. Because, verse 18, when you go out into the world, sometimes you're going to experience hatred. I'll tell you, this world can sometimes be a very hard place. Can I have a witness for that? <laughs> it can sometimes be a very hard place. And, and we need people to stand with us. Jesus is going to be away. How are we going to experience his support and his love? And one of the places he says is, this is how uh, people are going to know you're my followers by love. And even if hatred comes, love one another. You're not going to be alone. So I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I need you because I'm not complete yet. You know, even pastors walk through these times where we try to act like we're super spiritual and superhuman. But I'll tell you, I need you. And I know this, you need me as well. Uh, we sometimes need words of encouragement, sometimes words of correction. We always need people to pray for us, don't we? 
And one of the things I've experienced is when I feel burdens in my own life and one of you come and you share some of your burdens with me, why is it that your burdens feel lighter than my own? And even as I try to bear them and pray for you, I feel like some of my own burdens are lifted. I think that's what Terry was saying, that as we actually get involved in out of self and in serving and, and carrying one another's burdens, that we, we find our own lives and, and we find the sufficiency of God. So one of the gifts he gives us is one another. So I want you to be connected to this church. Uh, how can you get connected? Well, just work at it really hard. You, you can come through the connect sign. That's pretty obvious to see. And we'll try to find a small group or a place of service. Maybe you'll have to listen as Terry did for somebody saying, will somebody help me clean up here? <laughs> and, and you see what's happened through that. Places of small groups, places of service. Because God's given us to one another. We need one another. We need to love one another. What else has he given us? He's given us a trustworthy Lord. Another thing that throughout, throughout this last day he kept, keeps telling them is, don't let your heart be troubled. I can be trusted. Remember, I preached the whole sermon on this, didn't I? In John 14. So he turned to Peter and uh, Thomas and Philip, whose hearts were troubled. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. <laughs> what did he say? You trust God, trust me. I know you don't get it, but I know where I'm going and I know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I'm doing it for you. Trust me. Remember him saying that? Oh, man, I, I tell you, that has such practical application. Almost every time we come to church, I think we need to engage in these regular, ongoing acts of faith and trust. Where when things happen in our lives, we can't see it. We just sort of sometimes pull out the needle or sometimes where you're sitting, just saying, Lord, I don't see it, but I know you. I, I'm going to trust you. Where do you see him bringing that back in this text? I see it in those two places where he says, I'm telling you this so you won't go astray. I'm telling you this so that when it happens, you won't be surprised by it. You'll remember that I told you about it. What that says to us is that even when we don't know why that difficulty comes, he does. It's the song that Lauren sang for us. What if the trials are the places where we experience his greatest mercies? What if through learning to trust on him in the times where we wonder where he is, those are the times that we find that he is there. Uh, and that's what he says is there. So he wants us to know that when things happen in our world that we don't understand, even that feel like hostility and hatred, that he knows there's purpose in what he does. And it's always for good. Paul would rejoice in that in his great chapter on suffering. He would say, but we know this, that all things work together for good. Now, the things themselves, the circumstances may not be good. But he takes them and works them for the good that he's going to bring in us, which is to conform us to the image of Jesus and to make all things right. Hallelujah. So we have this resource of one another. We have this resource of trusting Jesus. And we, third, we have this resource of an ever-present divine helper. This is what Jeff Madison preached about so powerfully. I've listened to his message. It was, it was great. Where Jesus made this point. Now, I know you're going through doubts and questions, and I'm leaving too, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you someone just like me. I'm going to come back to this uh, next week. I'm going to give you some, somebody just like He's not me, but he is me. <laughs> same, uh, different person, same God, 
I'm going to give you the spirit of truth. I love the word that's used in this part of the passage for it, uh, where he calls him, and it's sometimes translated advocate, sometimes called helper. And the word in, in Greek is paraclete. It's two Greek words put together. And it means somebody called, klete, kaleo, called alongside, para. So, so it's what he's saying. I'm going to give you somebody who's going to be walking right beside you. We sang about this today. The God of angel armies is always by my side. I wanted to get up here and say, do you believe that? Do you believe that even now? That the God of angels is right here by us and by you. And, and even more than that, he dwells within you. So that whatever, he's saying, whatever, whatever happens in this world, I'll never leave you as an orphan. So don't let your heart be troubled. Trust me. Do not fall away. It's just so clear to me when I read through this farewell discourse that Jesus is declaring to us that with the family of God in the regular part of your life, the trust of Jesus in your convictions and the Spirit of God in your heart, you can withstand anything this world throws at you. That's what Jesus is proclaiming. He, he never pretended that following him in a fallen world was going to be easy. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was faithful to, to Jesus in the midst of Nazi oppression, he said in his cost of discipleship, when Christ calls you, he bids you come and die. That'll preach, won't it? But it really is a death to self in which we find no life anyway. And to find life in him. And I just declare to you that you will. So, what is, in his last words, what is the big thing Jesus was trying to pass on to us just before he would go to the cross? The main thing is that there will be both the kind of difficulties that Terry gave witness to and opposition that he speaks of. In this world, there's, it's going to happen when you and I are faithful to him. And Jesus wants you and me to be ready for it. He wants us to be ready for it. And to be faithful to him in the midst of it. And so I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? to live to his glory. Amen. Let me, let me lead us in prayer. Oh, our Father, it's such a sobering message and yet how important it is because it's real. We've all experienced the part of its reality. And so tonight, today, Father, I just pray that in the midst of whatever this world throws at us, we, we will remember that you have placed us here as a church and as individuals to be your witnesses, to carry your good news out to a dying world, to say that there is no hope without Jesus, but there is always hope with Jesus. Father, we, we must find that ourselves. And I pray for each one here, especially those who may now be walking through real difficulties. Oh, Father, last night and at the 9 o'clock service, I, I just heard so many stories. Father, you are greater than they are, than those difficulties. And I pray that each one here may find this word to be true. That, that we will be the kind of loving church to one another that you've told us to be.
Help us, Father, we need you. That each one of us would trust Jesus even when we don't see, believing that he sees more and it's always for our good. And somehow, Father, too, I don't quite know how to pray this, but I ask you to give to each one of us here a deeper experience of your reality and the presence of your Holy Spirit deep, deep inside our souls so that whatever happens, we will never be afraid. Father, for all of this we pray. Do your work in us, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to walk over here. Do you have a microphone for me? Oh, Tom, you're always way ahead of me. Um, Have you been noticing that my brother Josh Alt has been over here working away? First of all, I know you didn't want me to do this, Josh, but I have the microphone. I'm not giving it to you yet. This is Josh Alt. I'll tell you, this is my brother in Christ. This is a Renaissance man. He is a coach. He is an athlete uh, with soccer. He is an artist. Uh, He is a faithful part of our church, so that's all the good things. But you're not complete in Christ yet, Josh. Josh, you've been painting here, and and it looks like you're not quite done. Tell us what what you've done. Um, I I painted, one of my favorite mediums is oil on canvas, Uh, and this is landscape, obviously. It's a bridge that passes over some water, and it's called the Bridge of Faith. Um, I think when we walk through life, it can be very beautiful, and and I think God provides the bridge. So very simply put, uh, a lot of times there's places we have to pass over, but God gives us a journey, and he walks us through this life. Um, But, you know, I had an hour to paint this, and (laughs) I think one of the things I I thought before is, how am I going to complete a painting in an hour? It's very tough. And and I prayed a lot about it, and I thought, you know, you can't work out your salvation in an hour either. Um, And so that occurred to me. So then I gave myself some grace. And I took 10 hours, and I painted a more complete version. Um, Thank you, thank you. Because, you know, Pastor brought up, and this stuck in my mind a few weeks ago, whether you can lose your salvation. And that's a deep theological question that Pastor would love to address. If you can email him, he'd be happy to handle that. Um, But I can can say this, that uh, life can be lived well. And if we follow God's lead and we pray and we um, persevere and we, and we work through tribulation, that this journey we go over, this, this bridge of faith, um, it can be more lived with Christ. It can be more, uh, more well. It can be lived better. So this is the simple example I gave, um, the bridge of faith and a little more time. God can work out your salvation over the course of hours as opposed to just one. Josh, do you feel like that if we have uh, 10 hours in church every Sunday, that uh, that will be more perfect? Yes. Yes, yes amen. Thank you. <laughs> okay, thank Josh, this is so powerful. Thank you so much, brother. Um, if you haven't gotten to know Josh, I, I pray that you will. He is such a great uh, brother in Christ. Next week, we're going to be having a number of our artists putting a lot of the work that they have done out in the, in the foyer, in the lobby area, and I hope you'll come. I think Friday is uh, Artist Day here in Pasadena, all over the city, and we're going to be in that way participating with it, so I hope that you'll uh, participate in that. Josh, I really do think that you've ca- captured so much of this, the beauty of God's world, the turbulence that there is there in the water, and the time. 
I, I really thought, how on earth does an artist do something in an hour? That's not how artists work, right? But we made him. And uh, I just, I'll, I'll never forget it. So thank you so much. Um, one thing I've forgotten. Um, I, I mentioned to you last week, and all the books were gone, uh, this Knowing Him is a journey I want us all to be involved in, uh, Knowing Him by Mel Lorenz. It's, it's uh, two, uh, 22 devotionals as we walk, starting next Sunday. It starts next Sunday. There are only 22, so if you count it. Uh, starting next Sunday, um, I, I'd like us to do this together. And I think we have them for $5, but I just want to tell you, if $5 is too much, just, just go ahead and take one. And maybe somebody else will put another five in, but uh, it doesn't matter because I want us as, as a church family to walk through this together, to be hearing the same passages together for those 22 days until we have our hallelujah service on uh, Easter Sunday morning. So I'll mention that as well. Well, I think I'm done, right? Gil, Tiffany, Tom left me someplace over here. So let's stand. Um, I'm going to have our pastors and prayer counselors come to the left. Oh, yes, we have a good group coming. Um, some maybe will be over on this side. Um, after the services uh, today, so many people just came because, uh, to pray. Because I said, one of the things when we're walking through those turbulent waters that God gives us is one another, and one of the places to access one another is simply by coming for prayer. You sometimes notice that people go through that door to my left. That's because we have a prayer room back there, because many of you have told me, I don't want to be out here in front of people. That's too public for me. (laughs) Well, you can go, and we'll just stay with you and pray with you about any issue back in our prayer room, which is just right through that door. It's just a wonderful, peace-filled place to be able to counsel and to meet God and to pray together. So be sure to come. Well, I think now we need to to know God's power and presence in in marvelous ways so we can live to his glory. Jesus said he's the vine, we're the branches. We want his life to flow through us. So let's, let's pray that people might see that this week. So let's pray. So Father, that is our longing in prayer. Having heard that sometimes we'll go out into a world where we face pushback and persecution, we go with your presence. We go with the longing that people, though they will see us, that they might more and more see what you are doing in us and be drawn to you. So, may our dying Savior's love, may our risen Savior's power, may our ascended Savior's prayer, and may our returning Savior's glory direct us, fill us, motivate us this week, that people may see us and be drawn to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.